everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast with me, your host, Alex Murray. So this week, uh, with first episode back for 2019, apologies uh, for everyone that was expecting an episode last week. I had planned to do one. Myself and some other members of the team were away on a planning sprint, and it had seemed like a great opportunity to actually get a bit more uh, input and diversity to the show, but unfortunately it didn't work out. So yeah, you've just got me again this week. However, uh, the double episode, I'll be covering all the different uh, details of the updates and the vulnerabilities that we've addressed in the last couple of weeks. And we're also going to have a bit of a talk about an upstream change to the Linux kernel, in particular to the MinCore system call, that was proposed uh, around some recent uh, work from some of the researchers uh, out of the original Spectre and Meltdown work uh, to address a page cache side channel attack that they've published details on. Anyway, we'll get to that later in the episode. So first, let's have a look at uh, the usual uh, updates that we've resolved in the last couple of weeks. There were 51 Unix CVEs that were addressed across the supported Ubuntu releases. The first one I want to talk about is a bunch of updates that we've done to the Linux kernel. So we've released updates for all the supported releases, that is Cosmic, Bionic, uh, Xenial, Trusty, uh, and we've also done the hardware enablement kernels as well. Uh, we've got here uh, eight different CVEs that were addressed across them that include things like uh, an information leak in the CD-ROM driver, uh, this is similar to one that was covered uh, a few episodes ago, but a separate vulnerability. There's also a denial of service in the XFS uh, file system. Uh, this is a bit of an interesting one because it could be triggered by a normal user uh, writing a particular set of extended attributes that would result in an error condition in the driver that would then leave the file system essentially unusable because it would be in this error state until the next mount. Uh, so that's been addressed as well. Uh, there's also been uh, a the same fix that we talked about in episode 15 for a bounce check bypass in the uh, Berkeley Packet Filter Verifier. There's also uh, and one that we covered in episode 17, which is the incorrect bounce checking in the Urex USB driver. Uh, that's been applied now to further kernels. A uh, user after free in the InfiniBand driver uh, that would result in the usual crash and therefore denial of service, but I guess possible code execution depending on how you can uh, change other data structures. Uh, an integer overflow in the POSIX timer uh, API implementation uh, that would result in uh, confusion essentially over the counting of the overrun values uh, that could then basically be caused due to um, type mismatch between integers and 64-bit sign types that would result essentially in basically random values being returned. Uh, there's a double free in the AMD GPIO pin control driver that would result in the usual denial of service and possible privilege escalation. There's a race condition in the MIDI driver that we uh, talked about in uh, a few older episodes ago as well uh, that's now been uh, fixed in the trusty kernels and a null point dereference in the kernel keyring that would result in the usual crash and denial of service. Okay, we've also got a live patch uh, for the kernel that uh, rolls in some of these updates as well as some others. So if you haven't yet enabled live patch, that's free for up to three machines. Uh, so you can do that for free. You just need to install the live patch client and enable it. And you will then get uh, essentially kernel updates without having to reboot for resolving various CVEs. So quite a nice feature. Okay, uh, the next thing we've got is some updates to uh, NSS, the crypto library that's embedded in things like Firefox and others. Uh, the first fix here is a cache side channel variant of the Blickenbacker attack. Uh, I've got some, a link to uh, some more details on that if you want to go and look at it. Uh, there's also an issue where it would uh, respond to a, a valid SSL v2 client hello with a server hello, 
with all zero value for the random part. Uh, so yeah, a fix for that. And uh, another uh, cache side channel attack against the ECDSA signature uh, that could result in, I guess, compromise of ECDSA keys. Uh, so that's been fixed for Trusty as well. We've got a fix for a single CVE against Django, uh, the popular web framework. Uh, that's for Trusty, Xenial, Bionic, and Cosmic. Uh, that would essentially allow an attacker to craft a malicious URL uh, that would allow um, spoofed content to appear on the generated 404 page. So essentially, uh, you could make a URL that pointed to an invalid page, but would have a bunch of invalid stuff in there as well that would then get interpreted when the uh, generated 404, so to say the page doesn't exist, got generated by the back end and would then render this content as well. Uh, so that's been fixed. So a nice little bug. Uh, we've got an update to the Exiv2 uh, library that's uh, for handling image metadata and that kind of thing. And so as a result, yeah, for a library written in C that deals with a heap of different image formats, we've got the usual kind of vulnerabilities here. Uh, these were uh, nine CVEs that were updated across Trusty, Xenial, Bionic, and Cosmic. Uh, things like an infinite recursion leading to stack exhaustion, therefore crash and denial of service. Uh, we've got multiple heap-based buffer overflows, uh, but on read in this case, so it would result in a crash and denial of service. Uh, there's an invalid pointer dereference, again, resulting in a crash and denial of service, uh, and the possible to, possibility to reach an invalid assertion, and another uh, null pointer dereference. So yeah, the usual kind of stuff that we see, uh, but yeah, basically a heap of different uh, denial of service fixes there as well. So we've got uh, an update here that fixes one CVE for GNU PG in Bionic and Cosmic. So uh, GNU PG has added uh, functionality to support uh, WKD, the web key uh, directories framework that essentially allows easy discovery of public keys uh, via uh, HTTPS. So what this essentially allows is that you could um, configure uh, your web server and your DNS entries such that uh, when a public key is needed to be looked up uh, for GPG, uh, that could be found automatically. In this case, the way it works is that uh, you essentially query the DNS for uh, its SRV record. So to look up the host name uh, that corresponds to the, uh, the email address in question, uh, that would then respond and then you would need to construct a query to the web server to actually look up the key in particular. So the problem was that uh, GNU PG didn't validate what was returned in the SRV record. So instead of just say returning like a URL, and then uh, GNU PG concatenating on with that uh, the key to be looked up. Uh, you could instead um, return a URL plus essentially extra, um, extra data to perform arbitrary uh, GET requests against the server. Uh, I guess the, the one thing that lessens this impact is you do need to be able to construct malicious SRV records uh, for the domain in question. Uh, but I guess because it can um, construct arbitrary requests against the server, you could get possible um, cross-site request forgery, uh, content injection, that kind of thing. And I guess the other thing that made this one a bit more interesting was that Thunderbird, popular mail client, uh, has got functionality in to automatically use this um, from GNU, this functionality, WKD, from GNU PG, when it was looking up uh, missing public keys to uh, do you know, encrypted or signed messages to. And so, yeah, uh, something essentially that could be exploited automatically if you were able to set up the infrastructure correctly. We've got an update here for WebKit GTK. Uh, one CVE, uh, the usual kind of thing, possible remote code execution uh, due to invalid processing of crafted web content. Uh, yeah, normally we don't get a lot of details for WebKit GTK volumes, but uh, yeah, as I say, that's been fixed for Bionic and Cosmic.
One vulnerability that's had a fair bit of press coverage in the last week or so is the systemd system down vulnerability. So this was a collection of three CVEs um, that uh, were fixed uh, across Xenial, Bionic and Cosmic. Uh, in our case, Chris Coulson, uh, one of our hardworking members of the security team, uh, put in a bit of a heroic effort and patched it quickly and Ubuntu was the first uh, distro that was affected by this to release uh, an updated systemd to resolve it. Now what the main part of the issue here was that systemd uh, contains a bunch of variable length arrays that it uses in different points. So these are arrays that are declared on the stack with essentially a runtime length value. And uh, the value that would be used would be able to be controlled essentially in this case by the attacker. And so as you can imagine, if you can control that to have a really large value, you can then get a really large array allocated at runtime on the stack and therefore essentially exhaust uh, the stack area. And if you can make it really big, you can actually uh, overflow the entire stack uh, memory region, even overflow the stack guard pages that the kernel places in there and <laughs> run into the heap. And so you can do things like corrupt the heap and possibly get remote code execution, which is what was done in this case. So the original advisory actually had a proof of concept for uh, I386 to gain construct control of the instruction pointer. Um, yeah, so I guess it's it's interesting for a number of reasons because uh, we don't uh, often see variable length arrays used in a lot of different uh, code bases, but it is used a bunch in systemd. In fact, recently the kernel uh, developers have been focusing on removing variable length arrays, uh, spearheaded by Case Cook. Um, but in this case, it is something that you actually can mitigate uh, in user space. So GCC has uh, an option, fstack clash protection, uh, that will mitigate this. So essentially, make sure that you can't jump the stack guard pages and uh, this unfortunately isn't yet enabled in uh, the toolchain for ubuntu by default but it is something that we are now actively investigating and hoping to turn on and therefore use for the entire archive for a future ubuntu release okay uh, we've got an update for gnome bluetooth so there was a CVE reported uh, essentially that um, gnome bluetooth doesn't turn off bluetooth discoverability uh, if you're familiar, when you start GNOME Bluetooth and go to your Bluetooth settings, it automatically makes uh, the Bluetooth device or your laptop or whatever it is discoverable. Uh, but when you close that, it doesn't make it undiscoverable. And there's actually a bug uh, in the back end, BlueZ, where this should be turned off automatically, but it's not. Uh, and so what's happened in this case is GNOME Bluetooth developers have added a workaround where they will manually disable that uh, when the panel's closed. And so that's now been introduced and we've fixed that for Bionic. The next update I want to look at is one for PHP pair. That's the PHP extension application repository. So basically the PHP package uh, management system. And in this case, it's possible remote code execution due to uh, deserialization uh, of a particular archive format and therefore PHP object injection as a result. So this could be triggered when unpacking a, uh, a far PHP archive uh, format. And so uh, the problem with this is it's actually possible to embed one of these archive formats inside a JPEG. So pretty easy to exploit. In that case, all you'd really need is image upload ability to the uh, PHP web server in question. So, you know, if you have upload to say WordPress or something like that, you could trigger this. However, that's now been fixed for Xenial, Bionic and Cosmic. Just a few more to go through. So the next one is uh, HAProxy, the popular load balancing reverse proxy. This is used in uh, multiple different things like OpenStack and the like. Uh, three different CVEs here that we've fixed for Xenial, Bionic and Cosmic. Uh, one, it's an infinite recursion. 
due to uh, pointers referencing themselves or long chains of pointers that would uh, yeah, essentially result in stack exhaustion, the usual thing, crash into all the service. Uh, we've got an out-of-bounds read when validating DNS responses of particular format. Uh, so this could then uh, disclose potentially four bytes of memory. And finally, there's a failure to ensure the valid length of H2 headers when decoding. So again, would result in an out-of-bounds read and the usual crash and denial of service. So those three issues have all been fixed. We've got an update for libarchive, so the popular archive handling library. Uh, so a bunch of different things, a few for the RAR file format. So we've got a use after free and a double free when decoding various RAR archive types. So these would result in the usual crash and denial of service or possible remote code execution if you can uh, configure things right uh, in your exploit. And we've got an out-of-bounds read for uh, UTF-16 encoded names in RAR archives as well. And finally, uh, quasi-infinite runtime and disk usage, uh, so essentially denial of service, from a small crafted WARC file. So WARC is the web archive format, and this is often used for storing results of crawling websites and the like. So if you deal with those, yeah, watch out for that one. But as I say, this has now been fixed uh, in LibArchive for trusty Xenial, Bionic, and Cosmic. Okay, the next update is for LibCaca, the library used for uh, handling color ASCII art, in particular often used to do things like render videos in a terminal. Uh, so yeah, there have been seven different CVEs that were addressed here for uh, precise extended security maintenance, trusty, xenial, bionic, and cosmic. Uh, so a bunch of different issues here, but I guess the usual kind of things that we see. So out-of-bounds reads, uh, out-of-bounds writes, and a possible floating point exception all triggered by uh, manually crafted uh, files. So leading to the usual crash and denial of services. So that's been fixed. Uh, we've got an update here for policy kit. So this is also uh, for precise extended security maintenance, trusty, xenial, bionic, and cosmic. Uh, one CVE uh, to do with invalid handling of user IDs that were greater than int max. So not something that you see very often and also not something that is necessarily easy to uh, configure, say, as a user on a system. Uh, but if you do have a user ID that was greater than int max, uh, that could allow you to essentially bypass the uh, policy kit policy and therefore execute any system control command uh, as a normal user without having to authenticate uh, as a root or super user. So yeah, not a good one, but as I say, that's been fixed for policy kit. Uh, finally, the last one we've got is an update for IRSSI, the popular command line IRC client. So this is one CVE that's been fixed for trusty Xenial, Bionic, and Cosmic, and this was a use after free that would occur when expiring hidden lines from the scroll buffer. So that's been fixed. Okay, so that covers everything from the uh, usual uh, package updates uh, from the last couple of weeks. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about uh, was a recent change to the upstream kernel uh, for the MinCore system call. So this is a system call that isn't used too often, but is a, uh, the point of it basically is to allow a process to determine what pages that are mapped in the page cache. And this is used uh, recently in a, uh, a group of researchers 
who developed a cache side channel attack that used this functionality. And so these are some of the researchers that worked on the original Spectre and Meltdown work uh, from about a year ago now. And I guess they've still been continuing to work on various cache side channel attacks, in this case uh, using the kernel's page cache uh, or cache, depending on where you live and how you say it. Uh, but yeah, so it shows, I guess, that this kind of work is still pretty active as a research topic. And so essentially what they're doing is they would call MinCore and use it to determine uh, if particular pages are in the page cache or not. And as MinCore basically you give it a, uh, an address uh, that you want to look at and a length and it will then end a, a buffer that it can fill in with a bit mask of 0 or 1 depending on whether each of those 4K pages is uh, in the page cache or not. And you can use this as a side channel basically to determine uh, when another process calls a given function. And the way this works is that what you need to do is, you, is the page cache is shared between all processes. And uh, shared libraries always get mapped at the same addresses in each, uh, in every process, and they're shared between processes. So that means from, say, an attacking process, if you can fill up the page cache with everything except the one page that uh, would contain the, uh, the memory address of the given function that you're waiting to be called from another process, and so therefore the whole cache is full, that would then mean that if another process then does call that, uh, that function, that page will then get mapped into the page cache and you can then observe that from the original process and know that the function got called. Uh, you can essentially use this to do different things like say if you uh, and, and what the authors of the paper use it to do is they use it to determine say when the other process um, calls into something like policy kit uh, to get authorization from the user but what they then do is they then uh, spawn a second window that uh, pops up in front of the trusted uh, window to capture the password and essentially allow you then to say capture uh, the root password from another process. Or you could use it to do things like uh, create a covert channel to leak information from one process to another by basically signaling through whether pages are present in the page cache or not. And you can even do things like use it over the network as well. So um, to try to get around this, Linus uh, Torvalds himself directly uh, proposed and applied a fix for it. And I've got a link there to the commit in the show notes. Um, but basically this was to change the behavior of the MinCore system call to only report pages that have been faulted into the page cache by the process which is calling the system call itself. So this means that uh, you wouldn't be able to essentially get information on what other processes have done. So at best now you can only observe when a page gets evicted from the cache, say due to another process, but you can't see when another process causes a page to end up in the page cache. Uh, the problem with this is that it basically breaks the behavior of MinCore as it's always been and uh, essentially breaks the user space API of MinCore and therefore could affect existing programs that use it. Uh, and it's interesting, I guess, because uh, if you follow kernel development and follow, follow how Linus approaches it, uh, he's very strict on basically the primary rule is to never break user space. Uh, but in this case, what we've got is a security vulnerability that's because of this behavior. So I guess the, that um, rule is able to be relaxed so that we can change it. Uh, I guess what's also interesting is that traditionally Linus has said that uh, security vulnerabilities uh, or security bugs are just normal bugs, but in this case, I guess we can see that they're not. So maybe Linus's uh, behavior and approach to security bugs is changing. Uh, I guess the other thing to note about this though is that uh, while that was merged for the uh, 
kernel, I think, uh, release cycle, uh, that there is still ongoing discussions upstream as to whether that's the best approach. Basically, um, you know, there are other approaches that could be taken there, such as making MinCore be a, a system call that needs root privileges to run, and then we could keep the existing behavior. Uh, or there are other changes that could be made to MinCore to change its behavior as well uh, that could be more useful. Um, so yes, that's still being discussed upstream, I guess, as well. There's actually a good article, artic, good article on uh, LWN, Linux Weekly News, that describes this and even highlights um, that there are other avenues for inferring the contents of the page cache, not just MinCore. So uh, yeah, there are other places that probably are going to need some changes as well to try to essentially harden uh, the kernel as much against these sort of attacks as possible. Uh, however, I guess at the end of the day, the fact that caches do exist and that they can be, uh, the contents of them can be inferred even just from, say, timing attacks, basically if something takes longer to, to uh, execute, then not you know that it likely wasn't in the cache. Um, and there's, that's the nature of caches. That's the whole reason they exist, to speed up operations that, are, that you do frequently. Uh, so at the end of the day, we'll never be able to fully uh, protect against various cache side channel attacks. But in this case, yeah, trying to, I guess, close down this one. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see where this ends up. But yeah, I thought it was quite interesting on both a technical and a social level because, yeah, as I say, perhaps Linus's approach to uh, security bugs in the kernel is starting to change over time. All right, so that takes it to the end of this week's episode. Um, yeah, welcome back everyone for 2019. Uh, as usual, if you want to get in contact, you can reach us at security at ubuntu.com. You can also find us in the Ubuntu Harden channel on the Freenode IRC network. Or if you want to reach us on Twitter, uh, we're ubuntu underscore sec. Okay, so as usual, remember, keep calm and enable automated upgrades, and I will speak to you in another week. Thanks for listening. Bye.